Welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast. And now, here's your host, Jim Heskett. Hey, it's me, your host, Jim Heskett. Like the guy said, I'm here. Uh, I'm ready to talk about some Lane Parish. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm just chilling, you know, uh, in my office, uh, speaking into a microphone, staring at my computer screen. You're probably walking your dog or working in your garden or driving around with your kids. If your kids are in the back, hey, kids, how you doing? Um, So let's talk about Lane Parish number five, Knife Point. As of this recording, it is the final Lane Parish book, although it is not the final, final book in the series. I have definite plans for at least one more book um, and potentially more after that. So, you know, never say never. We'll see how it goes. Um, But as of this recording, Knife Point is the last book in the series. Okay, so let's talk about Knife Point before we get into actually reading the first chapter. Knife Point is the um, book number five. It takes place largely in California. Um, in um, It takes place largely in California. There's an interlude, and I'll talk about the interlude at length here in a minute. The interlude takes place in New Orleans. Um, and unlike in um, book number four, which um, the name escapes me at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> Snakebite in Snakebite where it was the first time that the um that the interlude had a direct uh, relation to the plot and wasn't just like some of Lane's backstory in this one uh, it's more of a return to form where the interlude relates to the backstory so uh well, let's go ahead and talk about that that interlude so one of the things that people had asked me about Lane is you know Lane like Micah Reed, Lane has some mysterious elements of his character. He has some things about him that aren't readily apparent, and one of them is how does he have money? That's something that people had asked me because Lane you know, worked for the government, which are not known for being high-paying jobs. He had a private security business uh, that he then later retired from. And so people, you know, it, it's a valid question. How does Lane have money? You know, he's got this nice condo in Colorado. He's traveling around. He doesn't have to work. He's got, um, you know, a cabin in the woods in southwest Colorado. So how does he have money? And this interlude answers that question. And if you have read the Micah Reed book, Shock Collar, then you already have kind of the answer to that question. So this book, Knife Point, answers questions that were raised in the Micah Reed book, Shock Collar. And so that's that's just a little bit of fun I like to have with the series. You know that um, the books are all standalone. The Micah Reed books, the Lane Parish books are all standalone, but they are all interconnected. And so that's a little bit of fun I like to have with it. You know, here's an example. In the Micah Reed books, there's a bad guy named Tyson Darby, and he appears in several of the books. And it's not really like his appearance in one book isn't directly related to his appearance in another book, but he's sort of a, re- of a recurring villain in the Micah Reed series. He's sort of a Hans Blofeld from James Bond. Not really. Tyson Darby's a strip club owner. He's not exactly a, um, like Hans Blofeld. Anyway, so let's let's stop talking about Hans Blofeld and Tyson Darby. Let's get back to talking about Knife Point. So this book takes place largely in California. In the little, um, well, it's not little, but the average-sized town of Redding, California, 
And this is the first time I believe I have set a book in a city that I've never been to. I mean, I've been to places in Northern California, um, and but not this specific town. But, you know, I did some research on it. I read up about the town. I watched some YouTube videos. And I feel like I had a pretty good feel for the town before I sat down to write it. Another thing that makes this book different is that so we've seen Lane's ex-wife before, the um, the Russian import Anessa Parrish. And we've seen Lane's daughter before, the uh, young and feisty Cameron Parrish. But both of them have really only been made cameo appearances here and there. And this time, the story is about Lane going on a vacation with his ex-wife and his daughter. And so in this book, Anessa and Cameron are front and center. And that's, that's very important to the story. Um, initially, here's a, here's a bit of trivia about the last episode for Snakebite. Snakebite was about Harry Bukadakis getting kidnapped, and my initial idea for the story was going to be about Anessa getting kidnapped um, right out of the front of a, a store that sells rugs, and Lane was going to have to figure out why these rug store owners kidnapped his ex-wife, but I eventually didn't didn't go with that. So the fact that Anessa is front and center in Knife Point actually leads to a very, very large plot reveal about the about Lane and Anessa. A big twist, a reveal about them occurs at the very end of the book. And I'm not going to say anything else because it is a huge twist in the overall story. And um, I don't want to say anything else about it. Anyway, so here's what the book is about. And let me give you a little background story on how this came about. Um, a few years ago, uh, well, more than a few years ago, but I, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when I was in my early 20s, I worked at a restaurant there. And I w- had a coworker, a young lady named Tracy. Okay. Then when I was in my late 20s, I moved to Boulder, Colorado. And after I had moved to Boulder, I'd only been there a few weeks, and I was at a I was at a brew pub eating a burger. And I got up and I went to the bathroom, and while I was waiting to use the bathroom, uh, this restaurant had these uh, um, pictures all over the wall, and many of them were like class pictures. They were you know taken in the spring and fall of each year, and it had everyone who worked at the restaurant. And then, so I was just kind of like standing there killing time, and I looked at this one of these pictures and there in the picture was Tracy, someone who I hadn't seen in uh, seven, eight years. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I know this. I know this person. I didn't know she'd moved to Boulder. I had no idea. You know, I hadn't had any contact with her since leaving, uh, since I stopped working at that restaurant in Tulsa, but there she was. And so that just gave me an idea for a story. Like what if you randomly saw a picture of someone you knew but the twist is you had thought that person was dead and the picture was taken after that person's supposed death date. So that became the basis of the story. And I didn't use that exact same idea because it would be too much of a coincidence for Lane to go to California on vacation and then randomly see somebody he knew, which launches him on this whole plot. So the idea is Lane is on vacation with his ex-wife and his daughter. Anessa is in California to do some modeling, and so Lane is tagging along to help look after Cameron. And he gets up to go to the bathroom, and he sees a picture of someone who he used to be a shadow with. Um, 
And so it's not a complete coincidence because Lane had heard that this shadow, after he retired from Daphne Curek's spy agency, moved to California and was living under another name. So Lane was was not just on vacation. He was also kind of hunting for this guy because he wanted to know why he had completely disappeared. And so that is really what kicks off the story. And like many of the other Lane Parrish uh, books, it involves Lane going undercover, uh, this time in a mental health agency, which was fun for me to write because I used to work in mental health and I worked at a place very much like um, Hillcrest that's featured in this book. So there's your behind the scenes stuff. Now let's go ahead and get into reading chapter one. Lane Parrish sipped an imperial stout while his daughter Cameron unleashed a fierce attack on the page with a blue crayon. She colored a helicopter with wanton disregard for the lines, blue everywhere, the blades, the cockpit, the landing skids. Lane had tried to help guide her aim, but she didn't seem interested. At four years old, staying inside the lines was a little beyond her grasp. In the end, what did it matter? There would be time to color inside the lines later, carpe diem. Across the table from them at Sunshine Brewing Company in Redding, California, Inesha, Inessa Parrish sat. Actually, not so much sat as perched on her chair with a scowl on her face. Of the three Parrishes at the table, Inessa seemed to be the only one not having a good time. She had the same last name as Lane, but she was not currently related, his ex-wife. She was long and tall with high cheekbones and sharp blonde hair, almost as sharp as her Russian accent. It had been years since she'd bothered to soften the edge of her voice when speaking to Lane, but that was to be expected. Cameron, eat your chicken fingers, Anessa said. I want to save it for later, Cam said, not looking up at her mother. Anessa's scowl deepened, and Lane decided not to get involved. He remembered hearing the starving children in Africa line from his mother many times in his youth, and it had never made sense to him back then. What did eating all his peas and carrots have to do with downtrodden kids in Africa? He was the third wheel on this trip from uh, away from Colorado anyway. Same hotel, room, same hotel, different room, taking care of Cam during the days while Lanessa would work. She was in town to do a few woodsy photo shoots for a clothing line, and Lane had tagged along since he had nothing better to do. At least, that was the reason he'd given Anessa for tagging along. He did have an ulterior motive to visit Redding he hadn't shared with her. The timing had worked out perfectly since he'd intended to come here anyway for a couple years now. New ink? Anessa asked, her eyes focusing on a particular section of the tattoos blanketing his arms from wrist to shoulder. Lane shook his head. Not for a while now. Same ones. Most of their conversations were like this. Short, strained, not ending well. That was fine with Lane because he wasn't here to spend time with Anessa or do any sort of work to repair their relationship. Only Cam. Everything was for Cam. When they'd arrived a couple days ago, Anessa had brought up that age-old topic of how Lane could afford to go gallivanting around the country and not have to work. After all, he was retired, not only from a from a particular nameless government agency, but also retired from his post-retirement security consulting business, double retired from two jobs not known for being lucrative. Anessa had brought it up, and Lane had once again opted not to answer her questions. Since then, they'd said maybe 30 words to each other. He drained the rest of his beer and stood, not able to reach his full six forward due to the low-hanging light fixture thing above the table. Daddy, where are you going? Potty, he said. 
brushing his daughter's blonde hair out of her eyes. Maybe you can finish the helicopter and we can both color the dolphin on the next page when I get back. She pursed her lips in consideration and then nodded her consent. He gave her a kiss on the forehead and scooted out from the chair. The Sunshine Brewing Company was a huge open room with enormous ceilings and wood everywhere. Like many restaurants in the area, bear-related paraphernalia decorated the walls. The touristy places seemed to portray a wilderness-soaked vision of Northern California. Lane had only been here a couple days, so he was still getting a feel for the city. It reminded him a lot of Boulder, where he kept a condo to be close to his daughter and to make joint custody easier. He strolled over to a large window overlooking the city. A bike path led out, with a Saturday morning California sun rising overhead. Blue sky met the horizon with a thin sheen of yellow that might have been faraway smog. Cyclists rolled by with mountains in the background. Water from the Sacramento River glistening like diamonds as it cut through the middle of his view. A pretty city. But Lane wasn't here only to see the sights and spend time with his daughter. Despite what his ex-wife thought, he did have a motive for coming to Redding, specifically. He was on the hunt for a man who he used to know as Thorny, real name Jonah Bramble. A man who had cut off all communications after he disappeared about six years ago, only a week before Lane himself had retired from the organization they'd both worked for. Jonah had been spotted in Redding. CCTV footage had shown him coming out of the back of this restaurant, actually, about 18 months ago. Lane needed to seek out Jonah, to find him and ask why he hadn't been in touch. It wasn't uncommon for ex-shadows to retire quietly with no social media and no cards at Christmas, but Jonah had become completely invisible. Lane wanted to know why. He needed to ask Jonah why he hadn't surfaced, and to ask him if their shared secrets still belonged only to the two of them. Lane hunted around for the bathroom and saw a sign carved into varnished wood pointing him toward the area with the massive stainless steel vats. He found the men's and women's, but when he pushed on the door, the men's was locked, so he waited. As he did, he looked on the opposite wall from the bathroom where a collection of framed pictures covered most of the wall leading into the kitchen. They were like class pictures, rows of employees all smiling for the camera in their tie-dyed work t-shirts. Lane skimmed over their faces. And then, something caught his eye. A face among the crowd. Initially, it stood out because the man in the picture looked older than the average staffer. Amid the smiling twenty-somethings was a man closer to Lane's forty-plus, with a thick blonde beard and glasses. But the face was unmistakable. Jonah Bramble, a man Lane had last worked with in New Orleans on his second-to-last operation, six years ago. Hey, said a voice to Lane's left. He turned to find a young man with a pencil sticking out from behind one ear and a half-apron across his waist, a waiter. He looked about half Lane's age, tall kid, taut, with muscles pulling his tie-dyed t-shirt across his test, chest. College kid, maybe, or maybe someone living the waiter lifestyle to avoid college. What do you bench? the kid asked. The fact that Lane had a bodybuilder's frame often invited this question, and Lane didn't usually mind answering it. He was a gym rat, but not the boastful sort. Not the kind who posted videos of all his workouts on social media. That seems more like something this kid would do. Not as much as I used to, man, that's for sure. The kid gave a polite laugh. I hear you. 
Lane knew the waiter had no idea what he meant by that, but he would in about 20 years. He pointed at the picture containing Jonah Bramble. There's no date on this one. When was this picture taken? The kid squinted at it. We do one twice a year, usually, spring and fall. That one was three years ago, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Are you in it? Lane asked. Yeah, dude, that's me in the second row. Lane pointed at Jonah's face. You know this guy? The kid leaned in closer. Oh, yeah, I remember that guy, Wade. Wade? That's his name? For sure. He was the oldest guy in the kitchen. Kind of quiet, you know? He was also pretty funny if you could actually get him to talk. He was working on a certification or something, so he was here part-times, mostly nights and weekends. Lane studied Jonah, also known on the team as Thorny, who had morphed into Wade while in California for some reason. Does he still work here? No way, the kid said. He took off a long time ago, a year at least. One day, he just didn't show up. No notice or anything like that, so we were all kind of pissed when we had to pick up the slack. But, you know, that's restaurant life. Do you know what happened to him? The kid thought. I heard he finished getting his certification or whatever and went off to work at Hillcrest. Hillcrest? The kid nodded. Yeah, the loony bin place past Pine Grove. I know they help people up there or whatever, but it looks like something out of a horror movie. The kid's eyes darted left and right, and he took the pencil from behind his ear. Now, uh, if you'll excuse me, sir, I have a lot of tables. Lane turned back to the picture, staring at Jonah. With a beard and glasses, he would have been unrecognizable to most. Was it actually Jonah? If so, why was he going by a different name? Lane looked again, leaning in closer. Definitely Jonah. And that is chapter one of Knife Point. And as you can guess, it goes on from there. Lane goes undercover, um, discovers a bad guy. Lane fights the bad guy, the end. Now you don't have to read the book. No, I'm just kidding. There's a lot more to it than that, including some pretty shocking twists and turns along the way. You know, um, that's all I have to say for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. If you uh, like these Lane Parish books, you can always go to jimheskett.com forward slash books and browse the books that I've written there. Uh, they're not too bad, if I do say so myself. You know, um, if you like the show and you want to show your support, maybe go buy a book, uh, you cheap bastard. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, also, if you want to show your support, you know, rate, review the show, share it with a friend. I would love to get this into as many ears as possible. Uh, thanks for hanging out with me, and I hope that you out there have yourself a wonderful, wonderful day. Take care. That's it for this episode of the Thriller Fiction Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and visit jimheskett.com for more info and free thriller books.